0: Well, the madness of the transfer portal just gets better. So let's analyze even more guys UCLA should go after. And let's retract something we said in the last episode for Locked On UCLA. You are Locked On UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody. It's this episode of Locked On UCLA. Thanks for making it your first listen each and every day. It's free where we get your podcast. Thanks for making it your first listen. And it's available on YouTube to so like, comment, and subscribe. I'm Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer, and this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more just by visiting FanDuel.com to get started. So we're going to talk about more guys UCLA could go through in the t- in the transfer portal. There's a top 10 list and on three I thought we should go through and someone UCLA should go after or four more guys I'm going to bring up today. But let's start this episode by saying oops uh, and retracted what I did yesterday. In, in the previous episode, I talked about Boogie Ellis as opposed to what I was meant to be talking about, Reese Dixon Waters. Reese Dixon Waters and Boogie Ellis were both six players of the year at very different places. Reese Dixon Waters is the current Pac-12 6 player of the year. I had it mixed up. Not sure why I said Boogie Ellis was in the portal. I meant Reese Dixon Waters. So I apologize for that. And we'll talk about Reese in just a moment, ironically enough, as a potential UCLA get. But I want to clarify that Boogie is not anywhere at this moment from what I've looked at in the portal. I just confused those two guys. So again, I'm sorry. So let's get right to it. Reese Dixon Waters and why he's a UCLA fit as we actually bring up the numbers and the reasons why UCLA can go after him. Maybe he's not the top go-getter for Mick Cronin, but he is a guy that was on our minds, the Pac-12 Six Player of the Year, and he's a local guy. Sixth, He's a Long Beach kid, went to St. Bernard High School, 6'5", shooting guard, where UCLA is. We already talked about need some scoring, and this is a guy who earlier this year shot 7-for-7 seven seven against UCLA, 16 points off the bench in a near, at that time, USC comeback against UCLA. Overall for Dixon Waters, a 43% shooter from the field, only 29% from three, but he still averages about nearly 10 points per game and three rebounds per game and got enough accolades from the rest of the conference to earn himself the sixth player of the year. So this is where UCLA could go after a guy like Dixon Waters. He's a local kid, maybe didn't like what he was doing or how his playing time shaped up at USC and UCLA could pluck him and bring him over. Not Boogie Ellis, no, Dixon Waters. And I'm not really sure what the talks are right now, but he's definitely blown up. He's had a 17-point game early this year at Cal, had 20 points against Long Beach. There's just different times he's showcased the ability, and maybe with more opportunity on the floor, more chances to start, and possibly more consistent shots, he might earn himself an even better shooting repertoire, maybe work on that three to hone it in a little bit more, and he can go from... As he was earlier in the season, he started the first seven games for USC and then became that key scorer off the bench at times to help give them those extra 10 to points. And hey, even if he's a sixth player for UCLA, what did UCLA not have this year? Bench scoring, right? And it, maybe it changed a little bit because Singleton and Bailey and everybody was rotating from the starting lineup to the bench. But if someone needs to come off the bench, UCLA needs some depth, and that's what they missed this year, depth and another scorer. And I think Dixon Waters would fit both of those things in terms of him coming across town if UCLA were to get him. So I think we tried to mention him yesterday, but we're, I'm sorry about the brain fart. You know, trying to keep track of the portal is nuts, but just want to be transparent and say that. But let's go through the rest of some guys who UCLA can still go after. I'm going to name one more and we'll come back and talk some more about the rest of who's available. I got another guard and I got some bigs for you. So. Who's a guy listed on the On3 website that's an interesting one to look at? Well, we've already talked Kalil Ware, uh, the kid from Oregon who's in the portal, seven-footer, maybe UCLA can go get him, and it's just a little come down the coast, come to Westwood, and become a Bruin. But there's someone ranked even higher. This is all with On3's transfer portal rankings. You can go whichever way you want. With someone who didn't play this year, Graham Ike, because they were everybody's darling. Remember, UCLA had the transfer go-out to Wyoming. And in Jake Hyman, I, but Wyoming, it didn't work out this year because E.K. didn't play. 6'9", center, kind of that undersized fit, you know, almost like a Cody Ridley-esque, where he's trying to go from Wyoming, still has three years of eligibility, and the last time he played, he was a second-team All-Mountain West kid, All-Mountain West product on the on the team of the postseason awards, and averaged about 18-8 in the last full season he played over a year ago. He sat out this year due to injury. His career... Was already hampered from the start of his with with a foot injury. I believe he had an injury that ended his high school career early, cut the the start of his freshman year at Wyoming a little short. So you can see the one problem with Ek. Despite that ability to rebound and score nineteen and nine, you know eighteen and eight, you know nineteen and nine, ranked as the number three transfer left in the portal so far. Three years left of availability and didn't play this year. So the big thing is, high upside has produced, and as we see, San Diego State from the Mountain West is in the Final Four, right? So UCLA would love a guy like Ek with still a lot of time to use him, unless Cronin, and maybe he plays well, showcases he's not injury-prone, and he goes to the draft. So maybe UCLA doesn't want to get him, or he's the same as a stopgap. But he's got lots of eligibility, but he is injury-prone. And as we saw what happened this year with UCLA injuries, even Matt Gettyen, is still recovering from an injury. So does UCLA want to take a chance on someone with some high upside from Aurora, Colorado, went to Wyoming, listed as a 97 grade coming out of Wyoming, but has proven coming out of high school historically into college, and then not even coming to this year dealing with injuries. Is that the guy you want? Talent-wise, I think absolutely yes. That 6'9", undersized guy who can bully in the paint. I'm not sure how thick Devin Williams is or Brandon Williams is at the moment, but EK is 6'9, 240. He's got that you know that adult man weight already as a center, despite being an inch or two shorter than maybe what you're gonna see in the 6'10, 6'11", the 7 feet guys, right? But as we saw, Oscar Shibuy, despite Kentucky not going too far, he could dominate getting boards. So if UCLA can get that guy who can be a force down low, even if he's a couple inches shorter, I think Mick Cronin would love him. Even though Chloe Ware is seven feet, he's a little younger, has some upside. EK has done it on the court it's just can he stay on the court which could be the key for UCLA so between a Dixon Waters and an EK that would be an interesting fit right you get a shooting guard compared to a center although this center would be shorter than one of the power forwards you're already bringing in in Devin Williams from Corona Centennial those are interesting things to bring in and I've got one guy who UCLA has already reached out to another big man And another interesting guard, I'm not sure if you've heard this name before, but he's on the top 10 rankings for on three, and I've seen him in person. I think he's pretty good as well. I'm not sure if it's a Mick Cronin fit, but I think he's a good individual fit just almost anywhere. So we'll talk about that after I tell you about FanDuel, because, you know, everybody's going crazy. FanDuel, you know, you've been trying to maybe put some bets, put everything in on the tournament, and you've lost money. It is what it is. That's why you've needed to sign up with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And, and because if you sign up, you're a new customer, you get up to $1,000 back with a no-sweat first bet, which we generally need, especially this year's tournament, which we said would be madness, and the Final Four has been utter madness. And you get $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. All you have to do if you're listening or if you're watching, go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and you can sign up for everything to go on money lines, point spreads, who's going to cut down the net, everything in between to get those bonus bets back if your first bet fails. All you have to do, all new customers, and even if you're returning, go to fanduel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel. All right, cruising on more into Locked On UCLA. Zach Anderson-Yox, I'm with you guys going solo. No max today. We're talking more about the... The transfer portal and guys who UCLA could get. We talked about some interesting picks yesterday from Wheeler to Love to where accidentally even mentioned Boogie Ellis, but we kind of went back on that to Dixon Waters. So those are guys I've talked about. And then with EK, another big man, UCLA could go to fill. And it all depends on Bona and Bailey. And if they leave, then maybe the need for a Dixon Waters or you know another big man might be interesting. But here are some more guys according to the top 10 list for on three in the transfer portal rankings, that I thought, hey, who could UCLA really get? And while UCLA is bringing in a point guard, you see Andrews, you see McClendon. I know some of the fans, I know you out there weren't too high on McClendon, despite him coming off some injuries. And then you have Andrews who couldn't show, he didn't show he could consistently shoot, but he showed some promise. But does UCLA want someone more of a veteran just proven it at the D1 stage? and still has some years of eligibility left. Well, you've got Taryn Armstrong, who I've seen in person. I broadcast in one of his games. He's a 6'5 point guard who is somewhat of a pass-first point guard but still averages about 11 points per game, assists about 5 per game, and did it in the whack with CBU. Scored about 18 points, in CBU's win California Baptist. They're out in Riverside. When they beat Washington, I think did some similar damage against Minnesota in one of those Thanksgiving tournaments. He's a guy that is big, 6'5", pass first. think he can be very coachable. He's from overseas. He, he really kind of blew up and blossomed with the NBA Global Academy because this is a guy who played with his brother at TB. That's one of the reasons he went there. Had some NBA draftable tan, intangibles, but is looking to go in the portal, and maybe UCLA could be that fit. I'm not sure if Mick Cronin's looking for that six five point guard but he is rated as the sixth best guy in a transfer portal right now. In terms of point guards, he is number one, number two on that list, maybe depending on how you rate Jameer Nelson Jr. There's even J.J. Starling, who's already committed to Syracuse. But those are the guards that are ahead of him. The rest of them are centers and then shooting guards behind him. So in terms of actual point guards, he is the only one that's listed as a point guard in this top 10 list, other than a combo guard or a shooting guard. Terren Armstrong, if UCLA can get him for a couple years of eligibility, maybe one before he wants to bounce and go pro and test his, you know, test his powers in a in a tougher conference like the Pac-12 and then eventually the Big Ten, I think Armstrong could be a good get because I, he is shifty, he is quick. the the way he passes the ball just all around the court is interesting. And while he does sometimes tend to be a little more turnover prone than say Tiger Campbell would be. That's something maybe Mick Cronin could work on. But if he's a little coachable, that would be an interesting fit. He's a big guard. That's a complete opposite from Tiger Campbell. That can maybe help defensively a little bit, give some size to open up some entry lanes to pass it to the post, which Mick Cronin even talked about early in the season as a struggle, passing into the post. And then just finding open lanes. There's different passing lanes as a point guard when you're 6'5 or taller and have that physique. You know, you don't get worn down as much, right? When you're bigger, stronger, faster. And while he only shoots 33, 30% from three, he does average about four rebounds per game, 44% from the game. So he can score. He can certainly assist. He can certainly pass it around. Similar assist numbers to Tiger Campbell. If he cuts down the turnovers, he can give UCLA an even bigger, better version of a point guard and a dynamic threat at somewhat three levels, not consistently enough from three. But he is a great passer. It's ridiculous how well he can pass the basketball. I think UCLA should take a look at him. They should at least take a flyer. And if Mick Cronin likes him, that could be interesting. I just want, You just wonder, is he the veteran leader that UCLA would need, especially as a newcomer, taking over for Tiger Campbell? And then what does he look like defensively? I'm not entirely sure on that. Taron Armstrong would be interesting. My final talk, someone UCLA has already reportedly talked to, according to... Andrew Slater from Cerebro Sports, who always looks at what the player development is. He's got a couple tens of thousands followers on Twitter. He has reported a few weeks back, and we didn't talk about it because the Bruins are in the midst of a March Madness run. The UCLA is going after the Harvard grand transfer from Brooklyn, New York, Chris Ledlam, who is An outstanding get. He would be a one-year stopgap, I believe, as the COVID year. And remember, Harvard didn't play. All the Ivy League schools didn't play in that year where the teams went through the bubble. The Ivy League said, nope, we're not messing with those. We're not messing with the bubble. They just stopped sports. So he's got an extra year, even if they did or did not play. Let this year, 18 points per game, eight rebounds a game. Had a 35-point performance this year against Cornell. And considering how well and how deep Princeton got this year in the tournament, you know, you have to believe, all right, this is a guy that can hit threes. He's 6'6", a little undersized. Some have made the comparison to a Jaime Hawkes Jr. in terms of size, maybe intangibles. Only 29% from three, but hey, you can see those numbers, right? That's a Hawkes number. It can hit threes, maybe not a consistent clip, has the same highs, you know, the strength, about 225 build, about one year from Harvard. So he's got the academics to come transfer over, probably the intangibles Mick Cronin is looking for, considering how tough it is to play in the Ivy League, how underrated of a mid-major conference that is. And Ludlum's already been reached out. And even a few weeks ago, Kentucky, UCLA, Arizona, Ohio State, Nebraska, Indiana, I can stop the list there, and there's still 8, 10 more schools going after this guy. So this is a precious, precious guy in the portal already, looking to play his last year out of college basketball maybe make some nil money and prove he can do it on an even bigger stage with the national spotlight on him so this would be exclusively for this year this is why ek has proven it already maybe on a little bit bigger stage with more you know numbers gaudier numbers but he's injury prone despite having more years left you've got ledbom who'll be a one year in between maybe even if bona comes back and bring you know Ludlum or, you know, because I guess since he's 6'6", it is what it is. But it's a guy who could fit the mold that maybe UCLA is losing in Jaime Hawkers Jr. and fit that body build with some sim skill sets to bring back. And But he's a New York kid. Does he stay East Coast? Does he want to stay near the Ivy League area in terms of Massachusetts? Does he want to stay on the East Coast or is he willing to come West? That is the biggest question because Dixon Waters is a SoCal kid and if he likes the UCLA fit, McCronum likes him, then it should be a done deal. EK's already on the western side. Does he go from Wyoming to UCLA? Who knows? Armstrong's already in California. But Ludlum would have to come across the coast and debate if that's what he wants to do. But UCLA has already been rumored to be interested in him. These other guys, not fully sure, but this is already in it, that they're going after Ludlum, a grad transfer from Harvard. Everybody's in on Ludlum. Someone who goes 18-8, 6, six he's going to get a he's going to get a, a hefty price. He's going to get some NAL money to go play somewhere. So that's the big thing. So those are the four. You got Dixon Waters, we get those numbers, Taron Armstrong, EK and Ludlum. Those are four more guys, only 3 of them in the top 10 of the on3 rankings, but hey, you know, we talked about wear yesterday. So which one of those big men do you want? Do you want to wear, right? Do you want Ludlum who's technically 66, EK. EK's Got high upside, but injury potential. Those are all things that can be discussed and debated on later on. As we rumble on into segment three of Locked On to UCLA, we're going to quit the chit chat about basketball because UCLA baseball, we've got to talk about them as well. They're on a bit of a rut. The last four games, last three games, they've lost three in a row. If we talked about this a few days ago, they're 16 and three. They're unbeaten in weekend series in the Pac 12 with only one series loss in the year at Vanderbilt, which, you know, if you only lose two out of three to Vanderbilt, and that's your only series loss, that's not a bad thing to have happen to you that year. That It's not the absolute worst for UCLA this season. But here they are, 16-6. Why are they in this rut coming off a series loss to Washington? And I say rut because it's they lost three in a row, lost two to Washington, lost at Fullerton by about a few, quite a few runs. Well, what's going on, right? For a team that seemingly, I believe, was at the top of the RPI, I think both D1 baseball and Baseball America have them hovering around twelve in the rankings, eleven in the rankings, wherever it may be. The Bruins were competing as they should be for the top of the Pac twelve title, as they are predicted to be in the top, you know, top half of the Pac twelve standings this year. Well, the biggest thing is Kyle Karros hasn't played in the last like four games. He hasn't played since the Arizona series because UCLA lost their first Pac twelve game, rushed through Oregon, swept Arizona, won that first game against Washington, was holding off the midweeks. Only to find out, all right, Karos is out. He hasn't played these last four games. That's their best hitter. He's hitting 360 this year. Yeah, Kyle Karos hitting 360 with 11 extra base hits, 10 walks, 28 hits, 21 RBIs. Those are pretty extreme numbers this part through the college season. You get about 20 RBIs. You're doing something pretty good for what he's done this year, including a five RBI game. Heck, he had eight of his RBIs in the first weekend, but still. He is a big run producer. He does it all. And with him being out your best hitter, especially for average, that's going to hurt the offense, considering they lost 3-0 to Washington in extra innings, and then they lost 11-10 to Washington in a Sunday finale before going getting just absolutely mauled by Cal State Fullerton in the midweek. So what happened in that Washington series, right? Well, they just didn't come up clutch, couldn't score a run, right? And despite having Michael Barnett making his first career weekend start for the freshman right-hander, with UCLA down a starter, I believe it was Alonzo Treadwell, who was unavailable to pitch. He did not pitch in the most recent weekend. They brought in Barnett, who threw five and two-thirds, hitless innings in his first weekend start, thrust in the middle of Pac-12 play on a Saturday. And yet, here he is, putting up numbers, and the Bruins just couldn't get a hit. They just couldn't get a hit, couldn't get a big opportunity. I think I saw numbers from Shotgun Spratling saying UCLA had maybe one opportunity with the runner on base. The opportunities for those first nine innings against Washington, who has somewhat become a very good team this year, led by Will Simpson and company in the Huskies. And the Bruins just couldn't get that series dub because on Sunday, they unfortunately had the worst start from their best starter so far this season in Kelly Austin, the senior from Costa Mesa, who went five and a third, gave up nine hits, three runs, only two earns. While he had eight strikeouts, him giving up nine hits was five more than his previous high. So he had only be giving up three hits, four hits, while going five to about six innings. But, you know, when it's your best player's hurt or your best player's out not playing, you've got your best pitcher statistically this year pitching on the Sunday in a rubber match and he just happens to get lit up in a day game, then what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Those are just things that weren't helping out. But it was nice to see Jake Brooks, who in that Friday win for UCLA, for the junior from Fountain Valley, have his best start of the year, six and two thirds, five hits, nine Ks, one walk, no runs in a quality start. Technically, just his second quality start of the year, but his best start coming against Washington on that Friday night. So it is a bit sucky to lose the series after winning a Friday night when your ace sets the table, makes everything go well. Instead, UCLA said, All right, what's going on? You're missing a weekend starter. You thrust in a freshman, but the offense doesn't come through. And then your best starter doesn't come through. Is it a weekend blurb? Possibly, but it depends how long is Kairos out of the lineup? How long is Treadwell out of the lineup? Those are big things to look out for because Austin, so far through his first six starts, still has an ERA of under a run and a half. Brooks, despite his best start, still has an ERA near four. And Treadwell has been important because he's 3-0 with an ERA of nearly 2.5, throwing almost 25 innings with a total of 31 strikeouts to 9 walks. So all the UCLA pitchers have pretty decent, pretty solid strikeout-to-walk ratios. Overall, hitting statistics-wise, with Caros out, it's Deuce Gorson who leads the team when it comes to batting average, 338 other than Caros, So can UCLA lengthen the lineup, get clutch hits? I know John John Vaughn's the two-way star has been a lot of power this year. Eight home runs, 21 RBIs, but a bit boom or bust sometimes, but he is hitting 270. Can UCLA get more out of Darius Perry, right? They've gotten a lot of things offensively. It's just a matter of can they stack up the wins? So far, they had been. Just one bad weekend against Washington and a poor time to talk about them. But we'll see how when the the bulk of Pac-12 play is starting to hit, how do they handle it? They go to Washington State, who's been struggling. They should win that series. And I believe UCLA does have Stanford coming up. That will be a crucial, crucial home set coming up later. Or it's a road set, excuse me. A crucial set coming up later in the year in April. Because they've got one at Washington State. Home against Utah, two fairly winnable series. And then home against Davis. These are all th- series and weeks UCLA should go at minimum, minimum 7-2. and two, At minimum 7-2 and two before they go to USC and Stanford in the lengthy end of April road trip. So these next three weeks, we should see UCLA get a bit healthier, possibly get guys back, and then just run through the table. Maybe not a, some RPI boosting points, but just a chance to stack up the wins where they're already 16-6. and six. Can't be a naysayer when they're 16-6 and six despite three losses in a row. And the first RPI look, they're amongst the highest in the RPI with what they've done. The Bruins are looking okay. They should have these next three weeks set for success. Only, you just have to go out and play it. It's not always on paper. So that's the big thing for John Savage's bunch. You have to, again, look late April. It's when they see Stanford on the road and a rivalry series at Dado Field. That's always intense because USC is a, you know, you never know. Despite UCLA beating them this year in the one-off at, you know, Jackie Robinson, UCLA starts to go beat SC. So we'll talk about it and more with UCLA baseball later. A little bit of a rut right now, but overall doing some very good things. In the meantime, we're going to talk more UCLA football. Get prepared for spring practice. Max will be back coming up. We'll talk even more basketball when there is actual movements more in the portal. And if there's more big names, well, we're going to throw them out there and see who else UCLA should target. So remember that here on Locked On UCLA. Thanks for making your first listen each and every day. It's free wherever you get your podcast and it's available on YouTube. So like, comment, and subscribe there. I'm Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer. A clap time, baby. And one, two, three, four, five, six, 2, You see uh, like UCLA fight, fight, fights. This has been Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins.